Hello, everyone. Welcome to Data Engineering Brief, or Dear Brief for short. My name is Igor Masagan, Dr. Igor Masagan, and I'm a data platform engineer at Klarna. Uh, and I am Pasha Finkelstein. I work for JetBrains in the role of developer advocate for data engineering. And today we have a few hot updates, uh, several lightning news, and one bigger topics for you. Let's start with a few hot updates. First update, it's and the most interesting one, maybe even the most important one, is the release of Spark 3.2 with support of Pandas API. Igor, what is Pandas API? I have no idea. Please tell me. Yeah, it looks like you have some idea, but and you're dirty, you're a dirty liar. But okay, let me just let me talk about it. Python has very no, well known library called pandas and and it's a library to work with data frames but it has one shortcoming it works only with local data basically not only with local data but on one node and obviously it introduced several several limitations the most important of which is you can process your data on several nodes. Technically, you can process, you, you have some parallelization in Pandas. You can't go beyond one node, that's true. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Of course, in Java API, you can do everything, but what if, what if I want true parallelization in Pandas? Well, Databricks introduced Pandas API for Spark. Earlier, it was called Koalas. It's not too well known. But now it's merged into the official Python PySpark API, and it's basically the same usual Pandas API, but it works on top of Spark, and it can be parallelized and all the things, and you get all the benefits, and you get your Spark history server, server and so on and so on. And that sounds really cool for those who are familiar with Pandas API and doesn't like, like Spark API. I don't know why. Did you have a chance to try it in action? I've tried Pandas separately and Spark separately, and I'm going to try it in next uh, week or two. I, I, we actually want to implement it in to support it in big data tools. So I have to try to say what can, what we can support and what we should support. Okay. Well, looking forward to your experience with uh, Pandas API with it. Shall we go to the next topic? Uh, let's go. Apache Beam apparently released a new version, two point thirty three point zero, and uh, its Go SDK leaves experimental mode and now a, a official part of Apache Beam. So this probably means that Go becomes one of the important players in that engineering field. What do you think about it? Do you like Go in general? I, to be honest, I don't like Go in general. I am waiting for generics to appear in Go and I hope it will become less boilerplate la language. I mean, I have 10 years experience of writing code in Java and still I think that Go is two variables. It's ki kind of crazy thing because if this air uh, common nil uh, not equals null, not equals null, uh, what what do they write there? I don't remember. They should handle every error nil. crazy way. Yes. If oh no no yeah if, well if result comma error not equals nil, then they should process something. And it sounds crazy. But I hope... I don't understand why generics would change so much for yeah, you. Yeah, they will change it because it will be possible to introduce something like a result monad. Should I, should I use the word monad in our podcast? Okay, some, uh, some object called result 
which will be which will contain error or normal result inside it and will be able to process it the functional way at least like in scala or some other functional languages where we can pass this result down down the line until the place where we can handle errors and where we want to want to handle errors something like result.map or result.call i don't know it may become a bit less cluttered i hope and also i think that there are enough languages in data engineering actually i think that python plus plus scala is enough well okay maybe kotlin maybe java they all are jvm languages i'm not even sure that r should be in data engineering in any way but um, yeah we have some r in data engineering even spark has official r support r is not really used for any for open data engineering i hope so you 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 view it as a bad use well not bad uh, folks from Google are absolutely awesome. They're creating awesome uh, tool called Apache Beam, and Apache Beam is awesome. And Apache Beam works for lot on top of lots of technologies like Apache Sams or Apache Spark. And Google is promoting Go. Of course, they should support Go in their in their tool. But I don't think that there really should be one more language in this ecosystem. Let's check. Let's check. Maybe. Maybe two years down the line, everybody will write all, all the data engineering code in Go. Why not? It sounds crazy, yeah. but in, in February, everything can change. I really hope it never comes to that, to be honest. So you don't like Go too, right? Yeah, Why? I, I don't like it, but I, I personally don't. Uh, the main problem is verbosity, that you have to write so much uh, stuff for just simple things. I would say that uh, it doesn't really bothers me that much that they don't have generics because usually you can get around it and you can be somewhat clever, but Go, Go punishes you for being clever. That's what, my, what, what I feel like when I write Go. And also they have all nice concurrency things like channels and Go routines and so on, but they don't have thread safe structures. Oh, they have libraries like concurrent hash map but it's crazy thing with global locking on 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 map to write okay okay you are from the world of python there is uh, there, there is no uh, structure data structures because there there is no concurrency but i think that in go they have to have such things shall we go to the next update yeah the next update is about arrow six what is apache arrow uh, as far as I know, it's some sort of a plugin for Spark that helps you write better UDF functions, right? Actually not. Actually, it's a format of uh, data storage in memory or on disk, which is kind of universal between languages. You can use it from Java and you can use it from Python and it unifies the data layout in, in every language. Can you use it from Go? And now you can... As of version 6, you can use it from Go, right? Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> we are doomed. Well, yeah, Go is, Go is definitely coming. But by the way, yeah, uh, speaking about data storage, Arrow is awesome technology because it allows you to have um, some performance in your PySpark jobs, for example. You don't need to pass all the memory from Java to Python and to really out all the data because it, it may be laid out by arrow. Yeah, usually from a, like someone who's just a 
works as a data scientist, uh, usage of Arrow involves just setting some flags in your Spark job and then magically it becomes faster, a couple of times faster. Just stop using Python. And uh, start using Go? Uh, Scala, of course. Or oh, Kotlin, of course. For, for, for Spark, you can use Kotlin. For other things, you can use Java or Scala. You don't need, you don't need to use Python at all. It's slow and all the things. I think you will scare a lot of data scientists if you just say, say that they, they'll stop using Python and start using Java. Yeah, we'll cut out this part. And the next thing. Speaking of Python, actually. Yeah, then, and the next big release is release of Apache Airflow 2.0 and 2.2.1. And there are quite some changes, quite some new features, actually. Uh, Igor, what is timetable? Yeah, the timetable is a part of effort of the Airflow community to get rid of the way they handle time and start introducing stuff like intervals and data processing, data processing intervals, basically. So you will get rid of all this execution date madness and that always confuse newcomers. And timetable is a way to specify time based on some other uh, calendars and uh, some other ideas like uh, now you can specify that you want to run something every third uh, Thursday of months of each month it's kind of hard to do that with uh, cron expression and it's kind of possible with make with uh, time delta uh, the other way to specify the schedule interval but uh, timetable provides a better api for that i haven't really played it played with it myself because i don't really need that sort of precision in my pipeline definitions but uh, there's a hope that uh, since people start paying attention to working with time in Airflow, it would become much more simpler for new users and uh, people who deal with it every day. Funny thing, I thought that Cron is perfect for Airflow because you don't need these complicated things for running your jobs. Every job should be run weekly, monthly, daily or yearly. Why do they need something more complex? I don't really, I don't really know. Well, quarterly, quarterly can work, of course. Quarterly, and then uh, I don't know some other calendars that are not Georgian based. Do we have ones? They also now support like Hebrew one. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I think that's actually a, one of the examples. Why would you need timetable that they provide in the official documentation? So. Oh, so do you think they can't really use cron cron jobs because there are some wrong names of days or something? Yeah, 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 <laughs> something like that. Okay, okay. Also, folks from Airflow uh, improved API finally, and they have added a couple of methods, deletion of job and creation of new user. And I'm shocked that there were no deletion API like a year or two or five ago, because how do you leave? How, how, how did you leave Uber without uh, API for deletion? Well, you don't really delete uh, stuff in Airflow typically. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, using a the, with API, it's a funny story because uh, when Airflow started to gain momentum and become very popular, there was no, basically no proper API. There was experimental one that uh, allowed to trigger DAGs and read some stats about uh, your pipelines. And then they made an effort to rewrite it from scratch, uh, from 
when changing the major version. So in Airflow 2, you have more or less proper attempts to implement it as a REST API with endpoints and proper HTTP verbs. And this is an ongoing process. So now you have some endpoint where you can actually send HTTP delete, and that will delete the DAG from your schedule into your, your, your Airflow installation. It's crazy. So I think they would still have some things to do with that. And uh, nobody really uses API for Airflow in that sense. Why would you, why would you have to do that? Uh, well, I, I, I want to do everything through API. I, I hate this CLIs and all the things. So why, why, why should I use them? I think that I should just post my Python code to Airflow instance and uh, and I will wait that it will appear as duck. Why not? It should be, it should be that simple. I, I don't think that was the use case that uh, people thought would, would Airflow would be used for. So that's why. And also, also I think that Airflow's UI is ugly and I now I can write the nice UI for it. Yeah, well, that's actually one of the cases why they want to rewrite API and uh, they started to showcase it. Now they want to have everything that they have in the U in the UI be accessible through API and then they will like develop a single page application or something. And uh, that's part of the improvements in this version that you can actually notice something changing in the interface like there is some updates on additional buttons in some places, uh, some additional information shown, uh, like the next run next to uh, the, the schedule and stuff like that. So it becomes easier to use. And uh, once they will cover everything, every call they have in the current application with API calls, then they will provide a tool that will be like a remote API CLI basically for Apache Airflow. And that would be sort of a test that everything works and API is complete. And then they will start rewriting the interface. That's what I heard from the folks that develop Airflow. It's funny that you are calling one thing API and other thing CLI while it's CLI. Yeah. <laughs> so also folks uh, implemented several UI improvements, but I think that now we should switch to Lightning News. Yes. <laughs> Streamlit Cloud being released, uh, which means that now you can deploy your Python dashboard easily in the cloud and it's open for public access. If you are using test containers for testing your pipelines or any other code, now you should be interested in a new thing. The folks from Atomic Jars released first version of Test Containers Cloud. It's for enterprises who want to run that as faster and in cloud and not on-premise. Integration test, I would assume. Well, your company test or maybe even overcomplicated unit tests. Okay, okay, okay. Let it be integration test. In other news, Greenplum released new version. I don't really use Greenplum, so I don't really know what changed. I tried to read the changelog and uh, Pasha tried to help me reading it, but we failed to understand what really changed. Apparently a lot of bug fixes, a lot of small tweaks, but uh, it's there and it's been like months or even less since the last release. Uh, thank you. And now to bigger topics. <laughs> so thing we wanted to discuss today is classical CI CD versus GitOps. 
um, first thing we should define is what is GitOps, right? Or what is CI/CD? Okay. Okay, let, let, me, let me define what is CI and what is CD, and you will define Git, uh, GitOps. Perfect. Uh, CI is continuous integration. It's practice which says that you should integrate your changes in your master or main or default branch as fast as you can as, uh, and as frequent as you can. Because when, the, when your changes appear in, in main branch, they are being tested and they're being deployed and you get and you're obtaining faster user testing faster feedback loop and so on and continuous delivery is about releasing your changes as fast as you can again to again obtain faster, faster feedback loop because you will deploy something and if you will deploy something and if it doesn't work you will get updates from your users very very quickly or maybe from your qa so maybe from your management it depends on who is your customer and what is gitops so gitops is basically a set of principles uh, that if you just remove all the sugar coating it would mean that uh, something somewhere pulls from your git repository and just deploys what starts there I would put it this way. Okay, I like how it sounds. Uh, does it mean that basically GitOps was uh, introduced like uh, 15 years ago before before the first appearance, before first release of Git by PHP developers who just pulled the data from the SVN or CVS or from the zip archives uh, they, they pushed to some FTP and it was automatically deployed to the Apache server. Well, yes, you can say so. Of course, people who coined the term or like insist on using the term GitOps say that, well, now since we went all this way from 15 years ago when we were just copying files between servers and we knew where the servers were located, now we live in a cloud, everything is different, so we have a different way of thinking about that and there are some changes. If we compare that to classical CI/CD, I would say that in classical CI/CD all the checks come before you actually roll out to all of your users. In GitOps, I would argue that the main change or the main difference is that you deploy first and then you check what what actually happened so it's like uh, builds it a bit backwards all the pipeline sounds like the same like in php you're deploying and then if something is is broken you get feedback that well it's continuous delivery uh, in a nutshell i would say that you're pushing yeah. some git repository then you're pulling some git repository and you're you're getting your feedback as fast as possible. I would say that there is one interesting thing uh, in GitOps which distinguishes it from like this push-pull thing. It's that the system on the which is quite far from you pulls data pulls data from Git itself, and it pulls it continuously. Like we are performing, we perform Git pull every ten minutes, for example. And then we are performing like it, it important update. It importance is very important here because if nothing has changed in those code you have pulled, nothing should, should be updated. 
maybe you will run your update procedure, but it, it won't change anything. And if anything has changed, then it will update. In those PHP thing, when you get performing git push, most probably you're doing git pull by hands on remote server. Because, because it's handy. You're not sure if it works. And when you are sure then it wor- that it works, you are doing as such my super smart server and uh, making git pull there. Otherwise, you are doing the same on your staging server, on your testing server, on, on different environments until you until you will be sure that it works. Would you say that uh, minimal GitOps uh, deployment would be having a um, cron tab git pull that will just pull stuff in your server? Yeah, I think it will. And I'm not sure if git pull itself is important to be honest. Maybe it updates something inside that git directory or something else. I'm not sure. It should be important. Well, of course, we can work around if it's not completely important. If it updates some timestamps of file, Oh no, it shouldn't update it. Yeah, I would say if you say that git pool can be configured in a way that it's idempotent, then it that would be proper GitOps. Yeah, maybe. And of course, it will mean that we have no uh, any con- configuration files stored in our Git because other- otherwise they will overwrite the whole thing and it's wrong. And in in GitOps, every all the configuration is completely separate from actual code which is nice yeah but you still you still store it in uh, git our version control your infrastructure needs to be in uh, stored uh, or like infrastructure as a code stuff needs to be stored in your repository yeah and uh, you do a lot of uh, like the the desired system state is basically always your head from your the main branch that you use. Yeah. Uh, other other interesting question is sphere of application of GitOps. Should it be applied only for infrastructure as a service, for example, or should we deploy our software GitOps way too? And can we deploy our software if it's, for example, Java? Okay, for Python. And for PHP, we most probably can. What about languages which compile to some binaries or anything? Can can we use GitOps there? How do you think? Well, you will basically probably have some, a bit of both. At some point, you will have a server that just pulls your artifacts and builds them. And then somewhere else you do not a Git pool, but a Docker pool. Yeah, and what I think is, we actually can pull our source code. For example, in Java, we can pull our source code and then call something like Maven build or Gradle build or SBT build, whatever build system you use. And then you will obtain ready to go artifact and you will deploy it to your servers. And, or, or you can pack it uh, into a Docker image and uh, you can perform an important build build at least with Gradle. And if your jar or you name it didn't change, then you won't build a new Docker file. And uh, I mean, new Docker image in, and it won't be actually deployed. And that's why fine. So you can, I think that you can use GitOps for any kind of application if you have uh, a way to perform it important builds. Well, yes, but I, I also think that we we talk about uh, GitOps as a pool-only operation, mm-hmm. but 
nothing stops you to say use GitOps with push-based uh, stuff. That actually, when you push something, it gets triggered, and then this this whole uh, difference between why you call something classical CI/CD and something GitOps, and where where is the um, the line that you need to cross to get to this new definition is unclear for me, at least. Yeah, I think that uh, the cake is a lie because. GitOps it's just a way to perform CI and CD. Oh, of course not CI, but CD. It's a way to perform continuous delivery by definition. But of course it can't replay, replace CI. And I actually don't know why some people mix CI and CD because they're absolutely different different sets of practices. Well, would you say that uh, GitOps is a set of practices inside CI, CD, or is it, is it a still a separate? I, th I think that Git... GitOps is a way to do CD, and it has nothing common with CI. Well, okay. uh, it it has it's uh, continuous, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that's all. Yeah, well, uh, if you do it uh, process based, like you do integration tests after you deploy, then you can say that well, I have my CI, but it's weird or it's uh, using people and not processes something like that yeah. not infrastructure yeah. maybe great and now i think that our briefing is over and we should say our bye-byes yes see ya see ya